0: That and Spester Carlson. Carlson, Carlson. Hoy, here comes Carlson. Carlson, Carlson. Ingen faktiskt, Ingen Annan Carlson. 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 som mig. Carlson. 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 Scores. Carlson. Yeah. Carlson. Welcome everybody
1: to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who decided this year to focus more on quality of winning just like one league as opposed to trying to win all their leagues. Uh, that's not the way I'm uh, justifying it to myself anyways. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski, with me as usual, the fantasy hockey robot himself, Brian Calm.
2: Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Yes, Elon, I guess that's your way of saying that you didn't win too many leagues this year, but the ones you won, you really deserved it. And I'd like to join you in that I'm in three leagues this year that I've been focusing my attention on, I lost in the full. Uh I lost with you in the finals in another where we were undefeated all season, and one of our patrons and listeners, Webstar, uh, beat us in the end. And I'm in this one with uh, with some pals. Uh, this is my like my work friends league where I am really, really hoping to pick up the win. We'll find out in six days if I can muster up one win. But we know, or at least we hope, that you as a listener have been just picking up trophies left and right all season. And uh, you don't really need us to add to the totals. We've got enough in the Keeping Carlson family. Thanks to you and your extremely competent fantasy play.
1: Right, yeah, definitely like, tweet tweeted us at Keeping Carlson. Tell us about the leagues you've won so I could just feel like I won those leagues since I yeah. didn't win as many as I was hoping to this year. Some rough finals. Brian, in our Fantasy Hockey Trades Invitational, we made it to the finals. We didn't lose one matchup all the way through just to lose to Webstar in the finals. Holy cow, but I did uh, win my first ever Dynasty League. That's my one win this year. We drafted this past summer, and I didn't know anything about prospects, but I tr- tried to figure it out as I go, and now I think I'm ready to go on Fantasy Hockey Life with Jesse and Victor and teach their listeners how to be successful in, in Dynasty. Uh I kid, of course. Uh, Matthew, my co manager, congrats to us. Cheers, buddy. Okay, Brian, we've got a really fun show today because even though a lot of our leagues are finished, there's a lot of people who still have fantasy leagues ongoing. And so we are gonna be here with you until the end to make sure that we can give you all the advice we can to make sure you are successful. I asked on Twitter who's got leagues still going. I was ready to like be like if if everyone was gonna say, No, not me, I was like, eh, maybe we don't need the show this week. We know if there's a lot of people who said, no, my league goes two weeks, you know, all the way to the end of the season. So uh we've got a lot ready, and I am excited to get all of our content for this week
2: for sure but first before we even get to that Elam, one very important league has ended the keeping carlson ultimate patron fantasy league season for the sixth season of the kick-up fall has finally come to an end after a wild season and we have a brand New tier one ultimate champion! Congratulations to Dustin Au, who took care of the entire uh, like tier of sharks in tier one Sweden. He outlasted short shifts host Ben Burnett in the finals to take the victory. Actually, Dustin was uh, he pulled an all nighter. He lives in the UK and so he stayed up till like five in the morning his time scoreboard watching just to make sure or like watch the scores trickle in. And I guess that's what it takes to be a cupful ultimate champ, if you want to hear more about it, Elon, you were part of this amazing reunion show hosted by John Noholt, who also uh, co-hosted a couple draft with me, where you got a a whole bunch of the tier one family together. and You all talk strategy, right? And how the season played out.
1: It was a really good show. I think anyone who is interested in hearing like a bunch of smart fantasy hockey players, like just discuss all their thought process through the season, I think you're going to enjoy it. I think there was a lot to be learned there. And I'm saying like, I learned a lot even just being in this call for sure. Uh, so if you want to hear that show, we've got a link to the show notes. Uh, it's the Cacupful Stat Attack podcast, which John's been hosting all year long. We put it in that feed. So you could go and subscribe to the Stat Attack podcast, download that, or you can watch the YouTube video. It'll all be linked in the show notes. It was a really cool episode. And yeah, congrats so much to Dustin Ow. A very worthy Cacupful Tier 1 Ultimate Champ.
2: Yeah, so congrats, Dustin. And now the defense begins. There's, there's no, no rest for the, get the weary Kevin Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League champ uh, who, like, start researching and building your spreadsheet now, man. You've got a lot. You've got 13 other managers who are going to want to come for your crown next season, uh, some of whom will name uh, and celebrate at the end of the show. If you are jonesing for some more fantasy hockey action, we have our very unique and exciting Kevin Carlson Ultimate Playoff Pool starting that we debuted last season season where you basically draft a new team for every round of the playoffs in slow drafts and it's like a survivor pool uh, it's really interesting i promise if you sign up to be a patron which only costs one dollar a month or a buck fifty if you're a canadian uh, over the off season you can get a link to register for that playoff pool you can see all the rules there it's a really amazing and unique format and i found it to be the most fun time i've ever had in a playoff pool
1: yeah, I had a good time last year also in that playoff pool, partially because I won it. Oh but okay. <laughs> uh, hey, until there's a new winner, I'm going to keep bragging that I won that pool. If I was Dustin, I'd be bragging that I won Tier 1 But in every conversation I have about fantasy hockey. Uh, that's the the thing you earn with the win. Uh, which I miss so badly, except for in the Dynasty League. Woo! Okay, so before we get to all of our content this week, uh, we are presented by DabberHockey.com. Definitely want to shout them out. They've been with us all season long with great content. You just heard my episode with Slim Cliffy, uh, Michael Clifford, on Thursday. Thanks so much to Michael for joining. And, like, you know, he knows what he's talking about. He writes daily ramblings over on DabberHockey. They have a lot of other great writers, plus all the tools over at Frozen Tools. It's an awesome site, DabberHockey.com. Brian, okay, let's get into it now. So uh, what I'm thinking the plan for this week is we'll go through some injuries and outries, some hot streaks we're gonna try to give people advice on what's gonna happen for the rest of the year but also for those of you whose leagues are finished we'll also maybe look at things from the lens of like also looking forward to next year for certain players and trying to maybe predict what people should be starting to glean in their prep so let's start with some outgeries and let's go to Nashville Philip Forsberg returned from his upper body injury on Saturday uh no points in the game he had took three shots in the one nothing overtime win over Dallas back on a line with Tolvanen and Ryan Johansson uh, so I guess you know not much fantasy advice there like Philip Forsberg I'm not Worried about like a pointless one game. I'm sure he's gonna be fine. He's had a great year this year. It'll be interesting to see how he could finish things off. It's kind of wild how far players on his team have fallen, though, right? Like, just when I was looking at who Forsberg was playing with, I saw he was playing with Johansson. I remember there was a time when like Johansson was good, and I would be like, Oh, good for Marcus Johansson. Like, I see, I don't even remember his name. I'm saying the wrong name. That's how like n- non relevant he's been for so long. Yeah, Ryan Johansson he used to be a solid 55 65 point guy. Really fallen off over these past couple of seasons to the point where even if like Philip Forsberg comes back to play on his line, like, I feel like we'd be crazy to to recommend for anyone to grab ryan johansson right
2: yeah we would be which is why we haven't mentioned his name pretty much all season long he's not a reliable fantasy asset but it wasn't that long ago that we looked at ryan johansson as a legit fantasy threat like someone who's uh, no you don't want to ever leave him in free agency and now you don't ever want him on your team that slide initially from 70 points to 60 points for johansson might have been because he stopped shooting and now we have this sl- huge slide this Collapse from 60 points to 40 points, which might be because he's seen further drops in his shot rates. Like he's barely shooting the puck anymore. Uh, He's still on a team that has had a lot of power play trouble. And that team is still Nashville. Johansson himself has just 14 power play points in his last 112 games. So that's like if you were on the second power play unit for a season and a half, that would be reasonable. But when you're on the top power play unit, that's completely unreasonable. And beyond the power play, Johansson has also seen a huge drop in his 5-on-5 ice time. In his best seasons, he saw more than 14 minutes a night at 5-on-5. The last couple years for Johansson, he's seen just 12 and a half minutes a night at 5-on-5, which, uh, if you might have been able to figure out, that's not what you expect your 1C to be getting in terms of how much ice time that number one centerman gets to see. Was this year especially unlucky for Johansson? Because I keep calling him a 40-point player, even though he's pacing for like 34. So yeah, there was some some luck that kept him from reaching 40 freaking points this year. And it wasn't an especially bad year, I don't think, for Ryan Johansson, which is to say, I don't think it was so short of what we could reasonably expect to see from him. Uh, for Johansson to be fantasy relevant again, he'd need his minutes back at five on five. He'd need power play points to come And he'd need his shots back. And that would maybe take him all the way back to 60 points. But of those three things, I think you could hope for one of them to happen would be reasonable. Hoping for two or three is probably setting your expectations too high, which is why I am uh, done with Ryan Johansson until further notice, which honestly has been the case for at least a year. I think I streamed him a couple times at the start of the year just to see. uh, But after even doing the same last year and giving up on him then too, I am not running back.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. Like, you mentioned that it's like we're at a point where it's like even like embarrassing to consider adding him to your team. I was like feeling a little bit like, oh man, we're talking like too much about Ryan Johansson to start the show. No one cares because he's, yeah, becomes so irrelevant at this point. Uh, So here, but here's a fun question for you Who's the bigger stud to dud story on the Preds between Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne, who's another person who even had higher highs, right? He was like a real superstar back on the Sens when he first got moved. And like, he's been playing in the bottom six. Like, in yesterday's game against Dallas, Duchesne was playing on, on the third line with eric haula and brad richardson i think like he he actually had assists in two straight games going into yesterday's overtime win but still only 11 points in 30 games on the year so yeah like who who's the more emblematic uh, example of a player that went from a star to a nothing and then my follow-up would be which of these guys has the better chance of being fantasy relevant again sometime in the future but i'm, I'm happy for you to say none forget about him
2: <laughs> yeah you wish i would just move on really quickly because none of these guys matter between johansson and duchene but you know when you ask me a question I have, to, I have to do appropriate diligence. And in well, doing no, if, so... If I ask
1: a question <laughs> about some players, then you're just like, no, he sucks, nothing. But when it's a player that you used to like, then yeah, you want to really dig in for sure. Which is fair. Okay.
2: Yeah, okay. So Matt Duchesne, honestly, there's a lot of parallels between him and Ryan Johansson. The first and most glaring one is that Duchesne has signed in Nashville for five more years at $8 million. Ryan Johansson has four more years at $8 million. Uh, you'd think between them, there might have a, a top-line centerman. Uh, Duchesne also has only 14 power play points in his last 96 games, despite a lot of top power play opportunity. Duchesne also like Johansson is seeing a career low uh, ice time at five on five, less than 13 minutes a night. And also like Johansson, Duchesne has had a bad season compounded by poor variants, but like Johansson, regressed Duchesne to give him some points back. And it's still been a really ugly campaign for Matt Duchesne, who has been a 60-point player the majority of his career. Uh, the last time he played above that in a semi-reliable way was eight years ago. He had an 81-point pace in Colorado. He did it unreliably with Ottawa back in 1819 before uh, Duchesne was flipped to Columbus, uh, before he arrived in Nashville, which made me think it's like both Duchesne and Johansson came from Columbus where uh, they had had recent success and moved to Nashville where they have found absolutely uh, none or very little. So I'm just wondering if there's anything more to that. I I doubt it. But if any detectives want to figure out what they serve on the flights between Columbus and Nashville for traded players. Anyway, I think if uh, like you asked me which of these guys, Duchesne and Johansson, I would expect to bounce back from the most. Man. It's so hard to imagine a bounce back because Nashville is desperate for a top line center. And the guy they play the most is Mikhail Granlund, who also isn't scoring. So I'm not sure what Nashville wants from their top line center, but I don't think it's what Duchesne or Johansen have to offer. So I'm imagining them both getting a totally fresh start, who I would think is the better fantasy play. And I think I'd lean Matt Duchesne as having the higher ceiling, but he'd also be more boom bust. Than Ryan Johansson. Uh, but of course, this is all pretend. But if you ask me who I thought could recover their career the best, uh, yeah, I-, I think I'd say Ryan Johansson has the better chance of recovering, but Matt Duchesne has the better chance of being the most fantasy relevant.
1: Yeah, man, it's just wild. Nashville's really killing uh, careers here. Also, you mentioned Mikhail Granlund, right? He was a superstar. Or not a superstar. He was like a point-per-game guy almost in Minnesota before he came over. And now he's like, he's had some stretches more than the other two. And it's okay. Let's talk about someone who's been really good to end our Nashville talk. Let's talk about UC Saras. Another shutout, his third of the season on Saturday, brings him to a 928 save percentage on the season in 33 games. And you know, that 928 save percentage is actually like underselling how good he's been because he actually had an 880 save percentage in his first nine games to start the season. Then he got injured quickly. So it's like, basically, since he's come back, he's been a whole different player. Like, a, a like top goalie argument in the league, right? With these numbers, since he's come back from injury. I'm interested now, like, clearly he's going to be highly ranked going into next season. But, like, if we were doing more goalies board right now, where we put goalies into tiers, we have Vasilevsky in tier one, and then we've got, like, I don't know, Curtis McElhenney down in the bottom tier. Who, where would Saros go? Like, is he convinced you at this point that, like, next year you're going to confidently draft him as, like, a tier two goalie, maybe tier three? Like, I'm just curious how much you're buying into this recent stretch of a couple months
2: well if you're asking me how confident i can be in any goalies play you know i can't be right but if i'm just looking at this season alone and thinking this season will predict the next one which by the way for goalies it often doesn't goaltending is so freaking random anyway saros has been really good this season my actual concern is that uh nashville confuses his play though For their own. This would be bad for him. And what I mean by that is Saros is playing so well that I think he's papering over a lot of issues in Nashville that need attention. It's not like they're awful defensively, but they'd also have little business being in the playoff hunt without the heroics of UC Saros this season, who's playing like a top 10 goalie in the league and uh, seems to have this workhorse workload, which I would expect would carry over to next year when right now, uh, they don't have another NHL goalie under contract because Pecarine's uh, very long contract is finally coming to an end. Uh, so really, if I'm looking at Saros, I, it seems like he can go on stretches where he can hold his own. And again, if I'm to use this season's data to predict next season's, I'd say, hey, he's capable of having a good year. My only concern is the team in front of him in Nashville remains a, a big question mark. They don't have a ton of cap space. And also remember, even though Pecorine is coming off the books, UC Saros is a restricted free agent. So Renee's $5 million comes off the books, and I assume most of that is just going to go over to UC Saros, which means the Preds are back where they started in terms of not having a lot of cap space to improve their team, which is full of a lot of like middle to bottom six guys already. So that would be my concern, that Nashville is not terribly competitive next year. They don't have the urgency because of the way Saros has helped them compete to improve their team, or the cap space to do the same. So I will be uh, interested in drafting Saros. But as with any goalie, I guess you're saying relatively, relative to the others, uh, because a Tier 2 goalie at one point for me would be a really exciting prospect. Now a Tier 1 goalie is like, I don't even care. Like, just give me a Tier 5 guy. Uh, But Saros would be up there for sure in the top three tiers, probably... Probably tier two based on his play right now, which is crazy to say, because it hasn't been the biggest sample of a season, even if he'd played every game. But man, does he look uh, like he's got some real, real talent to offer. Uh, And that, of course, could be a death knell for his numbers. (laughs) So you can hear the ambivalence in my voice uh, relative to the rest of the league. Yeah, I'm into UC Soros.
1: Okay. Well, I guess that's the game we play, right? Yeah. Uh, but I just, I'm with you that it is a little bit concerning that Nashville doesn't look that good and he's like playing all the time. I'll be interested to see what they do in the offseason. They've got Askarov, you know, in the pipeline, but he's probably a year or two away still. Though I thought that about Spencer Knight and now he's coming. We'll talk about him a little later in the show. He's coming and been amazing for Florida. Uh, yeah. I think that if I was in a keeper league right now, I know it's tough to say, but like, I'd probably just trade Saros if I could get a huge return for him just because these goalies like, what you know, even Saros this year was like bad to start the season so who knows if he'll do this again you've seen Bobrovsky have like really good stretches and then go cold uh, so I don't know I'm with you right like I wouldn't draft a goalie really high in a fantasy league I would wait and get someone later when I was talking to Slim Cliffy I was saying like now like maybe next year Carter Hart will be someone I'll try to get late in my draft and hope I get lucky with him since he'll fall and like Saros will go a lot higher so I guess if you're in a keeper league maybe you do consider flipping Saros as his value might be the highest it'll ever be. Uh, okay, so speaking of outjuries, where we started with Forsberg, and speaking of shutouts, like with Saros, let's talk about Philip Grubauer, who returned to the Avs on Friday after going on the COVID list for a couple weeks, and he promptly shut out the Sharks, stopping 21, uh, brings Grub to a 9.22 save percentage on the season and 26 wins in 35 games. So he's been awesome when he's been in the lineup. Uh, a while back, we talked about Grubauer on the show, and you brought up his, like, actual versus expected numbers at even strength and said that they're not actually as impressive as you'd think. And actually, like, he was getting a lot of his good save percentage on the power play, which you said might not be sustainable in the longer term. Uh, so I'm curious if you've like updated that opinion or now with more data, does that still hold? Like, how impressive should we consider this Philip Grubauer season now that it's coming to an end? To me, like, one thing that jumps to me as like a reason to think he's better is just the fact that like Dubnik and uh, Johansson and Miska, like all these goalies that Colorado tries to play, just do so badly. And, you know, part of me would think, like, okay, on this good team, like maybe any goalie would be good, but clearly not any goalie would be good. But maybe that's just really showing how bad these goals are are that they've brought in. So, uh, all that said, what's your current take on Grubauer now that we've had a few more months of data coming in?
2: It's a really interesting question to see all the goalies fail in Colorado, and Grubauer still be pretty good. He's actually had a rough stretch lately, but overall, he's been good. And also, point of order, I think you shortened his name and called him Grub. Is that, is that a reasonable nickname to go... Well, does it say group? Does it say long you? Or does he become something you find in your line? <laughs>
1: uh, yes, that's fair. I, don't, I always see it written as grub. Uh, and then, yeah, I think of the animal. But like uh, the, the good kind, you know, grubs are there to help your garden succeed by... Uh, I don't really know actually how is that it? nature I don't works.
2: Know. I feel like most people want to get rid of them. Oh, but grubs are also what you can drink in a shake to win Survivor.
1: Well, in the olden days, yeah, they don't really do those gross food challenges anymore. So, okay, so Brian, is is Grubauer a grub in your garden that you want to get rid of because he's overperforming? I guess the analogy kind of falls apart. What do you think of this guy?
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, Grubauer still hasn't been amazing at five on five, and his pa- penalty kill numbers which have propped up his save percentage all season long. And this sounds very harsh. I know for a goalie who's had numbers as good as Philip Grubauer, um, but I put my neck out there about a month ago. I'm, I'm kind of keeping it out there, but I also want to add some context to my take, which is that, look, I, I still think Grubauer is a good goalie, and I'm not even going to judge him. Like I was saying about Saros, even a goalie that played... 35 games this year, that's like a backup load in a normal season, right? Or like a a heavy backup load. But it's not enough to judge a goalie on. And from Grubauer's numbers going into this year, I don't see too much cause for concern. So yeah, I still think Philip Grubauer, for the record, is a good goalie and you want him, especially because Colorado, believe it or not, has the stingiest defensive play. In the league, you think these guys are blessed on offense? Well, guess what? They shut it down too, and they might also operate uh, kind of from a, an offense is the best defense mantra when they have their top line on the ice. But Colorado protects their goalies like no other team in the NHL, which means that, you know, their team, like where even Devin Dubnyk could succeed or maybe the old Devin Dubnik who did the same in Minnesota for a very strong defensive team, uh, but clearly is not the same Devin Dubnik today. So I'm not knocking Philip Grubauer. He hasn't had the greatest season. I'd rather see some healthier five on five numbers, but I, I I still believe that he's just fine as a, at least a Saros-level goalie. Like, I'd like him more than Saros because of the team he plays for if we were to do a more goalies board right now. And I think the conclusions we could draw from the dis- discrepancy between Grubauer's play and the rest of the pack in the Colorado Crees is that either Philip Grubauer has been really good or these other guys have been really bad. And knowing what we know about Dubnik and Jonas Johansson, and we don't know a lot about Hunter Miska because he hasn't earned a shot, which I think tells us some of what we need to know. Uh, I I think, honestly, it could be a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. Grubauer has looked good because he plays for a really good defensive team and he's a good NHL goalie. Uh, The other goalies uh, have just like aren't NHL goalies as far as i
1: can right. tell. So they're so, not a good yeah. uh, like measuring stick. Yeah. It'll be fun. I'm really going to be interested in seeing what uh, Grubauer can do on this playoff run, right? Cuz I think Colorado has a team that should be able to win a cup and we'll see if Grubauer could actually, you know, cement himself as like a legit like number one goalie who could take his team far in the playoffs. Next year Pavel Francouz will hopefully come back and give Colorado a decent backup or tandem depending on how Grubauer does, i guess. Uh, okay, since we're on this team, i feel like we haven't really touched base on the superstar in Colorado for a while. Like, I feel like maybe we haven't even talked about McKinnon, Rantan, and Landeskog like, for most of the season because it's like, why do we even talk about these guys? But I think we should just mention how on fire this top line in Colorado is. Like, Landeskog was pointless in the 4-3 win over the Sharks yesterday, but still sitting at 47 points in 47 games on the season. So that's a point per game pace for a guy who had a 75 points and 73 campaign back in 2018-19. So I guess he's racing against the ghost of himself, like Mario Kart style, to see if he could top his career best. We'll see if he can do it. But yeah, he's having like one of the best Seasons of his career Miko Ranton has put up four straight multi-point games with a break going on the COVID protocol in the middle but now he's back and now he's up to 57 points in 45 games that's 104 point pace on the season crushing last year people maybe forget already Ranton didn't even hit a point per game last year this year he's like well ahead like I said 104 point pace beating his career high 96 point pace from 2018-19 then McKinnon's 2.9 shot outing versus the Sharks yesterday brought him to 63 points in 45 games for 115-point pace. And I remember at the start of the year, like a couple weeks in, people were lamenting having picked McKinnon first overall in their leagues. Like, oh, why didn't I pick, you know, Matthews or McDavid? Like, McKinnon's fine, but he's not even doing that amazing. I mean, you can't really complain with what is currently pacing to be McKinnon's best ever season points-wise. So he's giving you, like, better than what you would have expected if you were just hoping he could do the same as last year. And yeah, he was barely above a point per game. 20 games in, but has been scorching since. Of course, maybe you still lament the pick just because McDavid has, like, turned it to the gear that no one knew he'd be able to hit uh, going into the year. So maybe you still lament. But anyway, I can't really think of a question about these guys. Just figured they deserved a shout out since we haven't discussed them much this season. Maybe Brian, do you have a question for me about the Avs top line since I can't think of one to you, but I really wanted to mention them.
2: Okay, I have a question for you. So Miko Rantanen not this season, but last season, was a first or second round pick. And then he had a a pretty weak year. I think you mentioned, what, he had an 80-point pace or something, which was disappointing Mm -hmm. as a first or second round pick. Do you see him going that high again in drafts next year? Or do you think you can still snag him somewhere between like rounds three and five?
1: So that's actually an easier question than I thought you'd give me. I think for sure he's going to be going in the top two rounds in drafts again after a hundred plus point pace season. That's just how things work in fantasy from all of my experience. The question, of course, is whether he should go that high. And I think maybe yes. Actually, one of the most impressive things from Rantan in season to me was there was a stretch where McKinnon was out. And he was still putting up all these yeah. points. And that was my one big concern. You know, Like, how good really is this guy? Like, yeah, he's obviously a great player, but would he really be putting up these points if McKinnon wasn't around? And he like, still was having multi-point games left and right. So I, I'm very impressed with this player, Miko Rantanen.
2: So I see Miko Rantanen in the cup I'm just looking at his ADP. Went uh, at the end of the second round on average, but as late as 50th. In one league, which is wild. And Gabriel Landeskog went uh, about 51st overall. So that would be at the start of the fourth round, on average. That sounds about right, right? Like these guys aren't going to get any big bumps above those standings. No one's going to reach any higher for them after this year, right?
1: I don't know about Ranton. Like, what's his actual ranking? A couple points. Maybe I'll bring up another Av while you look up uh, where right. Ranton ranks right now. I think it would be higher than 28th, which would be the end of the second round. Uh, okay, so then I wanted to mention, also in Colorado, Eunice Donskoy returned from his COVID absence on Friday, jumped right back to the top power play where we picked up a power play assist. Uh, no points yesterday. Brian, I recall a few weeks ago, we had a conversation about Donskoy versus Kadri, who you would rather have. Ended up being like a really non-impactful discussion that we probably shouldn't have had because they just both went on to do nothing for a while. But at the the risk of repeating the same boring conversation at this point like is for sure better than Kadri right like Kadri is that pointless in 11 games looking like a Johansson Duchesne like understudy like basically just like another player who's like at one point was good and now like doesn't do anything he's off the top power play he doesn't have like exciting line mates I don't see any reason why we shouldn't be calling Nazem Kadri a snoozer and not to say that Yunus Donskoy is amazing but I'd rather take the guy on the top power play who got a power play point recently rather than someone who is pointless in 11 and not giving me any reason to expect more but of course you are the expert in the fantasy robot so do you still have a reason to prefer a Kadri over a Donskoy or do we tell people drop Kadri for sure and then consider Donskoy if he's available
2: I don't at all blame you for asking this question and before I answer it Miko Rantan ranks fifth in average a couple right, of points per game and Gog ranks 20th so yeah both so I think the answer is that Landis Gog or Rantan is still going to be a first maybe second round pick and Landis Gog, might be ahead of the fourth round now, especially because, remember, there were those years where we weren't sure if he was going to stay as part of that trio where it seemed like Colorado was trying to mix and match and stretch into two lines, but now I think they have the depth that they don't need to do that, which I think we projected when they acquired Nazem Qadri, uh, who... I don't blame you if you're disillusioned in Nazem Kadri. He really helps you at the front end of the season. 24 points in his first 27 games, averaging over 17 minutes a night. Eight power play points. That's one every three or, yeah, three games. And more than three shots a night. And then since then, Kadri in 22 games has just four points and has seen a two-minute decrease in his ice time per night. Just a single power play point in his last 22 games. Still getting three shots a night, which is nice and uh, tells a bit of the story because Kadri is shooting 1.6% over this stretch of 22 games, which stinks, right? We, We could expect Nazem Kadri to shoot around 10%. So he should have five times as many goals, which would bring him to like five goals uh, over the last 22 games. And I also bet you his on ice shooting percentage uh, over this stretch isn't much friendlier than his own shooting percentage. So there's reason to think that Kadri shouldn't be doing this badly. There's reason to think that Kadri should be a 50-ish point guy, even with only second power play unit deployment, maybe a closer to 45-point guy if he's only seeing 15 and a half minutes a night. But at the moment, he's not scoring. And... Hasn't for a while, so I guess there's not much reason to roster him ahead of other guys who are, and who are in positions to score, like Eunice Donskoy. I, I This is a tough one for me, Elon, because I think all things equal, if every bounce goes as expected, Kadri outpoints Donskoy. So this is a question Even- of whether
1: even on the second line with no power play, you think he outpoints Donskoyd? Like, he's pointless in 11 games. So like, even if he did get a couple goals, that would be yeah. you know, two goals in 11 games.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Uh, but I'm saying he's snake bitten, So yeah. it's almost like the gambler's fallacy here, uh, except maybe the opposite of it. Is it, you know, because Kadri hasn't done anything for so long. Does that mean he's due? Does that mean he's more likely to do nothing? If I just expect what I expect from Nazem Kadri as a 45, 50 point player, um, I would rather him over Donskoyd. But Donskoi being on the top power play unit and that better opportunity, I guess, makes me lean towards Donskoy. Still, I would just hazard against thinking that Kadri being awful is a really real thing, and that he sucks now, which isn't true. So yeah, I'd go Donskoy, but I would be ready to grab Kadri the second we saw his ice time or power play opportunity to get better.
1: Yeah, I guess I get what you're saying. And also, there's no guarantee, right, that Donskoy stays on the top power play. Maybe at some point Kadri gets on there, though the you know the Avalanche are doing fine, so I don't see a big reason to change things up. And we'll see if by this time next year, we'll be talking about Kadri the same way we talked about Johansson and Matt Shamer. we'll be like, remember when Nazem Kadri was good? Remember that? Now it's like we haven't mentioned him forever. Uh, okay, so over on Carolina, another outjury, Tavo Taravainen back uh, for the Canes, as I discussed with Michael Clifford on Thursday. He had nothing in his return on Tuesday. Then we discussed whether we expected him to do more afterwards, and... I don't know if we were as bullish as we should have been because he's now scored in each of his last couple of games from his top-line spot with Aho and Svechnikov. Tevo uh, has put up a 76-point pace in each of his past couple of seasons, but that has included 20-plus power play points. Now he's like on this killer line with Aho and Svechnikov, but he hasn't cracked the top power play, just like Cadre Trochek and Jordan Stahl ahead of him in that position, and they don't seem to be giving it up. So, Brian, what kind of production do you expect from Tevo Taravainen for the rest of the season? And do you think it's just a matter of time before he gets his top top power play spot back or do you think the Canes might just keep things how they are and that's going to limit what Teravainen can do
2: I wish I knew the answer to that elon I don't which means I can answer what would happen in both cases the first case is that Teravainen doesn't land on the top power play and in that case I, I still think he's got 55 60 points in him if he does get back on the top unit of course you can expect closer to a point per game or at least 75 points I took a look at the Carolina power play And it is mostly humming along right now without Vinan. So, you know, I can't say I know what the strategy is in not having him on the top unit. I haven't been able to find much information about why he's not there, what the long term plan is. Um, But he's still very rosterable either way. So I, I don't know what the actionable advice here is, Elon. Like what, what? What do you think? Yeah. Does, what difference does this make?
1: I guess it doesn't matter, right? Uh, obviously, yeah. you hold on. Though in the shallower league, like you could maybe consider dropping a Teravine and if he's only going to be like a sixty-point guy, that if it's a categories league where if he's not giving you power play points, and he's not giving you hits and blocks, at True. some point maybe you don't hold on. Uh, so something to be concerned about. But it's just such a good top line. So I think until they shake it up and like you know even out the lines, you kind of have to hold on to a skilled player like Teravine and playing with Aho and Svechnikov. Uh, and then we'll have to you know rack our brains over the off season to try to project this guy and try to guess if he's getting on the top power plate. And I guess we'll learn from a playoff run potentially what ends up happening with Rod Brindamore and the Canes. Um, then Brian, I, as much as I complimented Juicy Saros earlier, we need to give similar credit at this point to Alex Njelkovic, who which we've done before, right? But he had a 31 out of 32 save performance versus the Blue Jackets on Saturday. That was his sixth quality start in his last seven games, bringing him to a 9.34 save percentage on the season. That's higher than Saros. And uh, Brian, I know you've already shamed all the teams that passed on Nijelkovic when including- he went Carolina. including carolina for putting
2: him on waivers yeah of
1: course it was insane right because now he's looking so good let's just rub it in even more i'm going to ask you the similar question that i asked about Saros. like uh, i'm sure people are aware morazic and reimer they're ufas right they may not even be back next year so let's just for fun pretend that carolina doesn't like bring back a real competitor let's say they bring back reimer and not morazic and it's like clear that nadjelkovich is being groomed to be the starter how high would he go inch more goalies board? Would he be in a, in the same tier as UC Saras? Because Saras is really good. And I'd imagine you think that Carolina is a better team than Nashville.
2: Yeah, exactly. So I would like Nadelkovic there. I guess it depends on who else Carolina does have on their goalie depth chart next year, right? Because they've definitely shown a preference to split time between their goalies. But we don't know if that was uh, based out of necessity or... Or based because they couldn't rely on Mrazek or Rhymer to really take take the horns of the number one job and run with it. I'm definitely mixing metaphors there. Yeah, I think
1: when you're taking horns and you say the bull and you've got a bull by the horns, take the
2: crease by the horns. How's that?
1: (laughs) The goal horn.
2: (laughs) Oh, good one. Okay, so yeah, if they could trust Mrazek or Rhymer, or couldn't trust Mrazek or Rhymer to do that or if they just think this is the best way to load manage their goalies. I'm not sure. Maybe we'll find out next year, depending on who that other guy in the crease is with Ndalkovic. But I would say, um, while he's on a better team and can put up as good or even better numbers than UC Saros, I would also just want to make sure that he's actually getting a starter's workload because I could see Saros... Uh, being in line, if I had to guess now, I would definitely have Saros getting more starts than Nadalkovic regardless of who the other goalie is in Carolina.
1: Yeah, well, like you said, we'll also have to find out who the other goalie is in Nashville. So we'll have a lot to learn over the summer. So fun, like having some new goalies, like which more goalies book next season is going to have like a whole brand new tier two. Like everyone from tier two this year, like your carry prices, I don't know, he probably wasn't there, but you know, like it seems like there's a real changing of the guard recently and the new young goalies are coming in and taking uh, a really strong role on their team. And I've actually got another goalie I want to bring up next. But first, let's uh, hear a quick word from our sponsor. So uh, you're listening to
0: Kevin Carlson. We'll be back soon. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they want to help you even more. With a Credit Karma Money Spend Account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. Just pay with your debit card. And if you win, you'll be notified on the spot and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Open your FDIC insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll automatically be entered to win $1 million. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to open your free account and start winning Instant Karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to sign up for free and start winning That's creditkarma.com slash winmoney. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply.
1: Alright, we're back. And like I said, I want to talk about some more goalies here. Let's go to Buffalo. And let's also switch to injuries. We're doing some outjuries. We've got to get to the sad times here. And Uka Lukanen played his fourth career game on Saturday for Buffalo versus the Bruins. But unfortunately, he went down in the second and couldn't finish the game. I don't think there's been an update yet. On his health. So that's too bad because he's someone we were really excited to see what he can do and seemed like he was, you know, doing as good as you could expect for a goalie on the Sabres coming at the end of the season. Uh so it'll be really interesting to see what happens in the Sabres net next year, right? Because Linus Allmark was doing so well before he got injured, but he's starting to look like a bit of uh Auntie Ranta with all these injuries, and he's a UFA, so who knows if he'll come back. So that'll be another really interesting off-season situation to see what the Sabres do. I think they they'd be best served if they could get Allmark back and have Allmark and Lucan, and that could be a really nice goalie tandem for. Them and maybe they could also then load manage all Mark so he doesn't get injured as much. Who knows? But anyway. I'm interested to see what happens there. In the meantime, I guess it's Tokarski time again, to uh, probably to end the season. Uh, he's had three really poor games in a row since we talked up how well he had been doing on the podcast, so we totally jinxed him. The Sabres play four times next week versus the Islanders twice and the Penguins twice. I'd imagine Tokarski is like a bottom of the barrel only if you're so, so desperate option in net, right? Like Even though he had that good run, I feel like it's really hard to depend on him in like a championship matchup.
2: agree. And I agreed. Like I I said, this is what I suggested before, when he was on that, that good run that was I mean, it was five games. So that's great. But he's definitely not someone you can really uh, rely on and I would be very afraid. To have him in net in a crucial moment in my fantasy matchup.
1: Yeah. So it's been cool to see him like kind of turn his career around and maybe he'll get a job next year as well, which would be, you know, probably the best case scenario for him going into the year. I don't think he thought that that would be the case. But yeah, I think Buffalo would be best served to have Lukanen and Ulmark and not have Tukarski as someone they have to rely on. Uh, Okay. No offense. Also, since we're on Buffalo, how about Casey middlestat really rolling? His two assists yesterday extended his point streak to five games. He now has 16 points in his last 18 games. This is already like a month long run of Casey middlestat being super fantasy relevant. And I'll admit, Brian, I didn't add him in any of my leagues. And he was available in all of them for a big part of this run. And I just kept on thinking, now come on. He's like, even when we talked about him on the pod, I still have the back of my head I was like, yeah, I'm not actually gonna like add him over someone that more reliable. But no, at this point, I think. That he's, like, I don't know, to me, I'd be curious to get your thoughts, obviously, on how for real this is, because he's also doing this away from like the equally hot Sam Reinhardt. Like, at even strength, Middlestat is playing with Rasmus Asplin and R2 which is obviously a step down, you'd think, from the players Reinhardt's playing with. Though, maybe to be fair, like, Jeff Skinner's not the most amazing. But uh, Casey, to me, seems like the clear number two Sabres forward to own for the rest of the season at this point. Brian, what's uh, your early sense of how you'd project like a Casey Middlestat? for next season or is that just too hard of a question to answer right now
2: it's a pretty hard question i think it's a really funny frame he's definitely the number two sabers forward to own Right now, like to have on your fantasy team. I'm trying to think: is there anyone else even justifiable?
1: I mean, Olafsson, people like him, but he's yeah. you know not been that great. Who else yeah. would be there?
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. And Middelstadt is still, I think, barely rosterable. I, like you, have watched him go on this run: 16 points in 18 games, nine goals and seven assists. Uh, I've watched him just languish in free agency and maybe get streamed in once or twice here and there by teams who aren't me. And I guess what I'd like to see from Casey Middlestat is him to shoot more. He has just 34 shots in this 18-game run where he's been uh, doing well, which is, like, it's not it's not awful. It's almost two shots per game. But when he has nine goals as the backbone of this little streak he's on, uh, that makes me pretty concerned because it means he's shooting 27%. And, uh, I, like, I, I just I don't see a lot... To love, Like, I'm trying to look for reasons other than just the pure point production, and I can't really find any that make me love Casey Middlestat. So I'm still pretty meh on him overall. I think if Buffalo is playing and you need a streamer, he's definitely earned a place in that conversation as somebody you should bid on. But uh, for this year and next, I'm still not getting too excited about him. I'm not about to start counting my chicks before they Middlestatch.
1: Oh, yeah. That was oh, was terrible. That, I, did you write that out and plan to say that? Yes. Oh my gosh. Sounds like makes maybe it, that. Yeah. Yeah that'd be reasonable maybe if it was off the cuff but I guess you know it's the end of the year so we're taking out we, we've already used most of our A material I guess like one thing to think about when you're projecting like middle stat for next year is they've got Dylan Cousins of course who's been in the lineup and I think he's expected to be especially going to this year when most people have given up on middle stat right like Cousins is supposed to be higher than him on the depth chart so theoretically you could have Eichel and Cousins centering the top two lines in middle stat in the uh, bottom six though also they've had Cousins playing on the wing sometimes so I guess we'll have to see what the Sabres do next year like theoretically I don't know Brian I'm gonna do it i, I get ready <laughs> oh, no. to ring the bell or something oh, no. of don't v- do it <laughs> the sabers look like they should be good <laughs> like <laughs> there it like, is now like middle stat is like i so what a big difference they have middle stat who looks like finally like a good player the player they drafted in the first round they've got dylan cousins who's like a real blue chip prospect like eichel like dalene is starting to turn things around like he's hopefully gonna get better like ukapeka pekka like we talked about like we have a good core here like just i don't know figure it I out mean, core is generous
2: there's some decent pieces for sure that you can yeah. build around, but you're still, I think, at least a few years, maybe a lottery pick or two away from being able to have the pieces for a contender. Mm. If you just look at Dylan Cousins and Jack Eichel and Sam Reinhardt and Rasmus Dallin well yeah so I'm not counting Casey Middlestad well okay well,
0: I,
1: guess I
2: think he's cool. like a middle six center in the best case and he could be like a third line center is the most likely case for Casey Middlestad
1: I mean he's looking really good right now but I guess you're saying it's maybe unsustainable like theoretically they could have some good pieces they have Victor Olofsson who's a good shooter but okay I feel like remember we had a question on our patron cast a couple months ago about like if you could take over a team right now which one would you and then we were sort of splitting it up in terms of like as a GM I should say and then you get to like take over and make all of their moves and I feel like Buffalo would be a good challenge because you could like make yourself like if you could take over the sabers as their gm and then bring them to be just not terrible you'd look like a genius right you'd win gm of the year if that's an award that they give and like i don't know it seems like they've got some pieces that i feel like it should be doable i don't know why they haven't been able to do it but hopefully someone will figure it out uh okay so brian uh let's do one more i guess injury here over on the habs they're still without jonathan druan Uh, So you could add him, by the way, to the Duchesne and Johansson and maybe Nazem Kadri category, another player who used to be really good and now it's like, why do we even mention him on the podcast? He's so irrelevant. But anyways... The fact that Drouin is so irrelevant was actually very funny. He got injured, and like, I don't think I saw one tweet from a Habs fan saying like, oh no, Druan's injured, that sucks, we're in so much trouble. Every single tweet was like, oh sweet, does that mean Cole Caulfield could get called up? Like all of a sudden just everyone was like losing their mind. Imagine Druan being on Twitter and seeing just how everyone's so happy he's injured just so that the Habs could go and call up this other player they weren't going to have the opportunity to otherwise. You know he's not injured, right? He
2: left for personal reasons. Oh right, okay.
1: Well, that's even worse then. I wonder if that's part of the personal reasons, is reading all these sad things. So I don't know what's going on with Joanne. Uh, Anyways, forget about him. I I wish him well, of course. Uh, Cole Caulfield got into the lineup, as everyone was excited about, and he just scored his first career goal in yesterday's 3-2 win over the Sens. So, Brian, here's one for you, which I think I might... Well, actually, I'm curious to see how you'll answer this. Caulfield versus Middlestat. Rest of season. Who do you like? And then also next season, who do you like?
2: I like Cole Caulfield in both scenarios. Caulfield has 12 shots in four games. And like that's good, but it's really great because he's playing bottom six minutes. He's playing minutes where you normally can't cobble together two shots, let alone uh, averaging three per game. I love seeing Caulfield fly on the ice and getting opportunities to shoot the puck and and while he's on the ice, Montreal is consistently still controlling the shot attempt share. Um, even though Caulfield has been up and down the depth chart, I still prefer him to middle stat, uh, because Caulfield's worst case scenario is he plays with, I guess, Jake Evans and Arturi Lekkinen, which really isn't all that different from playing with Rasmus Asplund and Artur Rutzelainen, right? Is it? So I'm going to take Cole Caulfield, who's shooting more often has the opportunity to get better line mates that middle stat I don't think ever has the opportunity to get because of the Buffalo depth chart. And I also think Caulfield is just overall... The better player, even though he spent less time in the NHL. I think he's probably readier to be a guy who has an NHL impact. And if you need any other reason to like Caulfield over Middlestat, he has two more games to play uh, in the remaining season then
1: middle stat does. That's as good a tiebreaker as any I would think. Okay, and then let's go back to talking about players that remember when they were good. I remember when Josh Anderson was like the biggest gem coming out of fantasy drafts this season. He had 11 points in his first 13 games. I remember really kicking myself that I didn't get him in the cup full Like I knew I wanted him going into it and then Lewis like outbid me or I think I ran out of money at that point in the draft and I was like, "Ugh, I knew he would be good." And then he was like scoring goals almost every game and I was like, "I knew I I knew it and I didn't get him." Anyway, Forget that. Dude has totally disappeared. He's pointless in six now. What the heck happened to Josh Anderson? Like, are we in snoozer territory for him? Like, for even people still competing in their leagues? Do you have to move on from Josh Anderson, like I suggested for Nazem Kadri, Or, like, I'd be curious to know, like, if you have Caulfield out there and you have Josh Anderson, is that something you actually consider swapping?
2: Yeah, you do. I don't know if you remember, Elon, but back when everyone was going gaga over Josh Anderson at the start of the season... I think I told you back then he was overperforming. Anderson started his season with nine goals on 38 shots, which gives him a shooting percentage of almost 25%. I guess the. Difficulty there was we weren't sure, you know, there'd been so much pent up excitement for Josh Anderson because he was supposed to have done this in Columbus last year, but was injured all season and even the year before. There were signs of it. So it's just like we were waiting for the Josh and we thought this was the the damn breaking for Josh Anderson becoming this super high impact NHLer. And it was very exciting. And sure, he could have regressed to a still more relevant pace than where he's at now. But that is not. What happened? Josh Anderson has been pretty irrelevant lately. After scoring nine goals on 38 shots in his first 13 games, Anderson has just eight goals in his next 34 games, still on 78 shots. And all of that is actually fine, to be honest. Anderson's on a 20 goal pace, taking more than two shots per night, uh, but only five assists hasn't helped him, not to mention only two power play points, even with 40% of his team's power play time on ice share. So while it might have sounded, Elon, like I was getting ready to tell you that Josh Anderson sucks and he's no good, I actually think he's probably a pretty decent 45 50 point guy which makes him equally appealing to Caulfield and more appealing in hits leagues right because Anderson is at least still doing that although just keep in mind Anderson's shot taking has not been as consistent as Caulfield so far Anderson's shot counts have been running really hot and cold most of this year just look at the last six games uh, Anderson's last three games he's taken 12 shots the three games before that he took no shots in three straight games before taking 12 shots over the next three so uh yeah josh anderson uh, nice in hits legs can help you in shots but don't expect a ton of help in points above hopefully a 45 point pace
1: which is nothing 45 point yeah. pace is like not rosterable in no so leagues.
2: he's like a guy who can get you serviceable production in scoring and fill some other categories along the way
1: yeah so basically a big bummer Right? Because I was hoping, obviously, for a little bit more than that. I guess now he's like what uh, Patrick Hornfist used to be when he was on Pittsburgh. You know, he gave you some category coverage and, yeah, around a 45 point guy. So that's too bad. Man, Josh Anderson. Oh, well. Hopefully you're wrong for Habs fans and for I have him in my dynasty league, which uh, Maddie and I won in spite of. Of Josh Anderson, because he did not help us this past week at all, like you just outlined. All right, Brian, so speaking of my Dynasty League, since I'm clearly now an expert in all things prospects, which is actually totally a lie, because we won by deciding to win now and kind of throwing the prospects draft and just focusing on getting players that could help us, which, hey, is a legit way to win a Dynasty League, right? But anyways, I was thinking well, there are some exciting young players that have started recently, much like Cole Caulfield, so why don't we go through a little prospect prospectus and maybe we could give our thoughts on if any of these guys are worth looking at this year and maybe i don't know if you have any comments for next year obviously we could get like victor nuno or a prospect expert to come on at some point like a cam robinson type to help us but in the meantime here are some names that have jumped out at me as players i think we at least have to mention maybe you give me like a heat score how excited are you about this player one to five uh, fire emojis sound good
2: uh okay do i type the fire emoji no you
1: say fire emoji fire emoji fire emoji fire. you say <laughs> that, <how> sounds, many?
2: <laughs> that sounds terrible so i'm All just right. gonna say out of five
1: okay so here we go number one the 2020 second overall pick quinton byfield has played his first three games in the nhl for the la kings this past week no points so far in those three games he had four shots in his first game but only one over the next two games he's playing on a line with campe and athanasiu So, you know, obviously, second overall pick. We've heard lots of great things about this guy. Not much production yet. Not a great line. Any fire emojis for the rest of this season for Quinton Byfield if he's available?
2: I guess we'll have to wait and see if he gets played a little more often. So far, Byfield's deployment hasn't been great. I like him with Kempe and Athanasiu, but it seems like his minutes have been pretty limited so far. So for that reason, I will give... I mean... Uh, it's all relative, right? I'm not going to give any of these guys five out of five fire emojis. Okay, no, but I, I guess it's also just, I don't know. I don't know how to do this, to be honest. Okay, I will say Quentin Byfield uh, gets three fire emojis
1: out of five. Okay, for the rest of this season. And yeah. Obviously, uh it, the, the sky's the limit for this guy. He, I think LA's planning to build around him for sure. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I think it should be like. And again, now we're like bare, putting something <laughs> into the ground here that no one even cares about. But like, I'm thinking, like, how excited are you when I mention this name? Are you like? You know, do you feel the fire okay. inside of you? Ooh, I want to add this guy. Okay. Two
2: fire emojis out of five.
1: Okay, next up. Uh, how about former Leaf Alex Barabanov, who Ben talked about on a recent Short Shifts episode? Uh, two points for the Sharks yesterday versus Dubnik and the Avs. Uh, he has four points in his last four games now, playing on, I think, top line with Evander Kane and Tomasz Hurdle. So you would think Alex Barabanov, a guy who was waived by the Leafs, how good can he be? On the Sharks, like, lots of these players are getting really strong deployment, like Alex True uh, we talked about on the last show, and Gregor. Like, all these, like, nobodies, which is obviously a rude thing to say, but players who weren't on our radar going into the year are getting a nice deployment. And right now it's Barabanov, and he seems to be producing. So how many fire emojis are you going to give this guy for the rest of the year?
2: Producing and on the top power play, and as you mentioned, with good five-on-five line mates. And Barabanov finally just got his first power play point uh, of the season, and let me check. Yes, of his career uh, on Saturday night, which to me seems to be a good sign that he could be worth rostering. I- I've been through the ringer, honestly, with a lot of these random sharks over the years, like uh, uh, Dylan Gambrell. I-, I don't know. You ask me to name a random shark, I could name you one. Noah Greger, Rudolf Balsers, although he's been okay. Uh, Sasha Shmalevsky. I can't even, I'm not even sure I'm saying the name right. In any case, Barabonov seems interesting to me, but just with the caveat that so many other sharks have because of their deployment, but I really like where he's playing. He's a small speedy guy and he's seen an immediate uptick in deployment. He's playing top six minutes after playing five to 10 minutes a night in Toronto. So I'm very curious to see where this goes. And that's why I'm going to give him what did I did I already say I'm going to give him four fire emojis out of
1: five. Okay, that's pretty good. Okay, so let's see how he competes with Kirby Doc. We've already brought up on the show uh, quite a bit. Uh, I guess we were saying like everyone should stash him before he comes back to Chicago, and then he did, and at first he was like, a little bit disappointing, but hey, now he has five points in the last five games after that slow start. Ten points in 17 games now, and climbing, so he might still end up finishing the season with some pretty decent numbers. Uh, maybe this doesn't count, since he's been playing all season, so it's not like a new prospect to bring up in our prospect prospectus, but I wanted to also ask you about Brandon Hagel, who's currently on a three-game point streak and has seven points in his last six games playing on a line with doc and vinny Hinestroza and hey just for fun let's throw in rookie philip kurashev who picked up a power play assist in the 5-4 loss to the panthers yesterday though he hasn't done that much otherwise so these uh hawks rookies hey you know by the way throw in like pew Suter, uh, kevin lankan and the hawks team looks like they have a decent future potentially to me i know i just said that about buffalo but i don't know these are names of players that seem to be doing stuff you- so and-
2: you're, you're an eternal optimist about teams' futures. Like, you've, you've said the same thing, and I, I love you for it, about New Jersey, about Anaheim, about L.A. Any <laughs> team on the down-and-out, I think they have a good future ahead of them.
1: Well, I don't know. Doc? It's great. Hegel, yeah, I don't know. I yeah, it. They seem like there's some good players here. So what do you think about uh, these guys that I've mentioned? Doc, Hagel, Kirsch, are you into adding any of them the rest of the year?
2: Yeah, well, Doc, I'm always interested in for a stream because I think he's good enough to have a a chance at pointing any given night, even though his point pace is, you know, barely above a half point per game. Uh, Remember, he missed a lot of the season. I don't know if he's just now finding his feet. I'm not going to give him that narrative, but I am just going to say he's good enough that we could hope for him to point any given night. I think uh, I wouldn't say the same about Khrushchev. And Brendan Hagel, I also wouldn't say the same. I kind of see him as like... And, and speaking of uh, Chicago guys with this sort of edit, Andrew Shaw, who just retired, um, I could see Brandon Hagel being the same, or or a more current comparison, maybe like Marcus Foligno as like a mid-six guy who plays feisty, throws a few hits here and there, and can find his way into a point streak from time to time. But it's not somebody I would rely on production from. So if you're asking me for fire emojis out of five, I'd go two for Hagel, uh, I'll give two for Kurishev too, and I'm going to give four to Doc. Like, not even that I'm so excited about him. I just think he has a a decent chance of helping you compared to all these other guys.
1: Yeah, it would be nice if Doc could get back playing with a Kane or a Debrinket instead of playing with uh, Hinnestroza and Brandon Hagel. But Toronto is like obviously mixing things around a lot as they're just you know pretty much out of it at this point in the season. All right, let's go to the Panthers now. I think this team... I'll be curious to know if you finally break the five fire emojis for this last team in our prospect prospectus. Uh, so the Panthers beat the Hawks on Saturday and they've got a couple young bucks that have cracked the top 6 recently with Grigory Denisenko playing with Barkov and Anthony Duclair. He picked up his second straight assist in Saturday's game. Then we have Owen Tippett who's been seeing success on his line with superstars Jonathan Huberdeau and Sam Bennett as he scored yesterday and also had a goal an assist and 8 shots in a game versus Nashville on Tuesday. I'm talking about Owen Tippett of course. So Uh, Brian, did Niseko, Tippett both looking good? I guess we don't have to rehash Sam Bennett again, but man, this guy just keeps... Like, I don't know what more he could like he's just like being a superstar i guess we'll see how he does in a playoff run i know that we've talked about him recently and it was like yeah but how, you know at some point it's like how much of what we see can we buy into in terms of projecting for next year like it seems like it would be irresponsible to be like yeah sam bennett's now a 70 point guy we'll book it but uh, obviously looking really good right now but okay let's focus on the the new prospects we've got to the cycle. like i said tip it both in the top six then i guess we also have to mention 20 year old spencer knight a 20 year old goalie who seems to be ready to make an impact right away like he has three wins and three appearances so far including bailing out bob in that preds game on tuesday so brian let's get the fire emojis out for these panthers who these are also players who people were expecting to make impacts. so i think these ones are players that people are really excited about in dynasty
2: yeah so i'm gonna go i'm gonna go all the way here fire emoji fire emoji fire emoji fire emoji fire emoji that's wow, five, five fire emoji for gregory denisenko who yeah is in this amazing scenario on the top line and someone we, we wanted to see for a while by the way we should also mention that denisenko being on the top line one of the reasons that's possible is because nikita gusev is not he was healthy scratched
1: oh yeah that guy
2: yeah yeah <laughs> earlier scratched earlier this week and he's now playing in the bottom six with noel achari and uh Lomberg, I didn't write down his first name. Sorry, I didn't I didn't catch it. Uh, so that stinks for Goosev and anybody who's speculated on him, such as myself, but as we mentioned, when he was acquired, you got to be ready to, to cut the cord pretty quickly, which I have also done in the one league I continue to contend in. Um, but yeah, I would definitely be interested in Denis Sanko and see how long he can keep producing with Barkov. Remember that he's not supposed to be this super offensive guy, but I guess he's in the what we can call the Verhage Dadanov spot. So why wouldn't you want somebody playing alongside Alex Barkov, especially if he's already producing? That's why I'm going... Five fire emojis for Grigory Danisenko. Owen Tippett, I'm going to give three fire emoji. Uh, yeah, what, are you disappointed about this? You're making a
1: face. Yeah, I would have definitely had uh, Tippett at this point ahead of wow. uh, Kirby Doc and Alex Barabanov, who you gave four emojis just because Tippett's playing with Huberdo and Sam Bennett. The line can't stop scoring.
2: Sure, but Tippett has had this kind of deployment before and lost it. And also, we've seen him have these big shot games. This eight shot game Tippett just had came about a month after he had a nine shot game, which was followed by a lot of one shot games. But I do like this time Tippett, you're right, does seem to be a little more sticky in the top six. And this eight-shot game, instead of being surrounded by one- and no-shot games, has been sandwiched already between a five-shot and a four-shot game, which gives Tippett 17 shots in his last three games. We see that Owen Tippett can fire away. I just want to know that he's going to keep getting the green light to do it. And when I did consider streaming him in to my teams earlier in the season, I was always glad that I didn't because it never seemed to continue. Maybe this time will be different, but that's why I'm a little cooler to him than I guess you are. Um, Does that to help justify, or
1: would you yeah, still, sure. like...
2: Yeah, so I'd, I'd actually be really interested to get your ranking of all the guys we've just talked it. I keep just saying what I think. How would you rate them?
1: Okay, well, I guess the thing also with the Florida top six is that Hornfist has been out for this week, which has been very frustrating for us in our joint link that we lost, the Fantasy Hockey Trades Invitational. So uh, thanks a lot, Hornfist. But anyway, maybe he comes back and bumps somebody, though I think he was playing on a third line uh, before he got hurt. So uh, we'll have to see. All right, so I would go maybe tip it first... Then Denisenko, then Doc, then Barabanov, then Hegel, Byfield, Kurashev. But number one for me would probably be Spencer Knight. Yeah. well I guess whenever he plays right who yeah. knows Like, but he just seems like such a sure bet like Florida's clearly like such a great team and like speaking of actually forget everything I said about Chicago you know how I was just like and you made fun of me about how I said like Chicago looks like they have a good future like forget them. like Florida this team has a good future okay and a good present but like we just talked about Like, Denisenko Tippett and Spencer Knight, who are, like, brand new this season, plus now Sam Bennett's randomly a superstar. Aaron Ekblad's not even there. Like, they're going to get him back next year. Like, I think that... Don't forget Mackenzie Wieger he's yeah he's turned into something emerging as a legit top pairing defenseman Gustav Forsling is having a good run like I just feel like this Florida team is going to be a contender for a long time I'm like very excited hopefully they don't mess anything up it's kind of too bad they have this Bobrovsky contract to contend with they definitely don't need that but uh yeah I'm into the Panthers and uh that's all I got to say about that yeah, so am I. Just
2: keep in mind, they have a really lousy schedule this week. I think they play Monday and then Saturday, and then they play only one more time the rest of the season. And so if you're looking for a goalie like Spencer Knight, who has been really good, right? 3-0, 943 save percentage. Helps that he's playing for Florida. I'm not saying I'm not saying cast any doubt. Well, you should always cast doubt on a goalie's performance. But Florida's a top 10 defensive team, too. So uh, if you're a goalie and can get in and play well... They're going to do you some favors on offense also. But Spencer Knight has been outplaying his expected Fenwick save percentage. So that's good news for Spencer Knight and the Florida Panthers. But we'll see if he can get one start out of the two starts this week. And I don't know about the rest of the season. But if you're in a keeper and you're looking to fill a, a deeper spot and Spencer Knight is available and goalies are valuable, obviously, I mean, I assume he's already gone, but go ahead and nab him
1: yeah well no maybe like shallower keeper leagues like he might not be available you know in like a keep four keep five that's where maybe it's hard to you know give up a spot of a more reliable player but i think it's not going to be long before spencer knight takes over there in florida and like you say they're a strong defensive team so he's gonna get a lot of support all right let's end the show with some hot streaks let's start with the hottest streak of them all Connor mcdavid has three plus points in five of his last six games Like we talk about players sometimes like how many multi-point games they've had in a row which is impressive like mcdavid is like three plus points is become the standard for this guy he's now up to 87 points in 49 games that's an 146 full season point pace he's got seven games to go he needs 13 points to hit 100 that's nothing that's not even two points a game McDavid is getting three points a game Brian come on he's totally gonna do it right McDavid's gonna hit 100 points Totally. Yeah, it's so funny. Whenever we talk
2: about Connor McDavid, I have to try and find something interesting to say other, other than like, yeah, he's amazing. Wow, that's incredible. So how about this? This is what I've got for this time around. Connor McDavid is seeing the second highest five on five ice time of his career. He's also the only forward in the NHL seeing more than 17 minutes a night at five on five. He leads the league in five on five ice time per night by 10 seconds. Uh, over Patrick Kane. I was going to make you guess, but I think that's probably not the most exciting thing to guess. Uh, So yeah, so Conor McDavid leading the league in five on five ice time, also leading the league in all situation ice time, of course, because of all the power play time he gets. Obviously, the Oilers want his unit on as often as possible. But I did browse the list of players uh, near the top of the league in ice time in all situations per night. And some of the names surprise me. Elon, tell me if they surprise you too. Some of the other biggest workhorses in the league JT Miller uh, ranks eighth in all situations ice time per night. Alex DeBrinkett ranks 12th. And Alex Iafalo ranks 20th. So those to me like this to me is a reason to think oh yeah these guys are really getting a ton of play clearly trusted by their coach to be out there uh, in many situations and to me that ups their fantasy value a little bit for next year.
1: Yeah I guess like obviously shorthanded time isn't like worth that much in fantasy like it's more useful for a defenseman who I guess will get some blocks more likely but yeah, always good to know you have a player that's unlikely to get benched if the coach is willing to play them so often. And like, maybe Alexia follows the one player that you would think, oh, who knows? Maybe he could get bumped from the top line, but clearly he is, uh had some friends in LA to keep him in that spot. Not that he's done much with it lately. Uh, okay, by the way, uh, I think Dave Tippett has decided that he wants to help McDavid get to that 100 points on the season because it would just be so cool. So he's reunited him with Dreisaitl at even strength so McDavid doesn't have to play with like, what was it, Pooley, R.V. and Archibald the last time we talked about him. Now it's... You know, McDavid, Dry Sidle. Yamamoto, and then they're figuring it out with the second line. It obviously worked. Uh, McDavid had a goal and two assists in that game on Saturday. Drysaddle four assists, which uh, was very useful to Maddie and I to win our Dynasty League. Okay, so next hot streak, uh, Johnny Gaudreau. He's no McDavid, but he scored the lone Flames goal in the 4-1 loss to the Oilers on Saturday, which extended his point streak to seven games. He has 12 points in his last 10 games. So like, if you don't, people may not remember, like Johnny Gaudreau was super cold before this run in his last 10 games. He got so cold to the point that he was dropped in a couple tier one because he had a bad schedule that week and I remember Ben and Lewis on short shifts were talking about like is he even worth adding if he's dropped in your league and I think their conclusion was "Eh, maybe not like he hasn't been doing much but I don't know Brian what has changed in this recent stretch for Johnny Gaudreau to being like potentially not even rosterable in a lot of leagues to you know kind of getting back to the superstar that people drafted him as 12 points the last 10 games like I said
2: well, it helps that Johnny Gaudreau has started scoring. He hasn't started shooting a lot, though. In his last 10 games, Gaudreau has just 19 shots, but he scored five times on them. So that helps Gaudreau get up to this hot streak that he's on. It also helps that his teammates are scoring. He's picked up seven assists, which... Honestly, hasn't happened a whole lot. Gaudreau hasn't seen a ton of goals scored while he's on the ice until lately, uh, and he also has three power play assists too, which is nice. Uh, that's a nice little total for a ten game stretch. So you can hear maybe in my voice that I'm still not totally convinced that Johnny Gaudreau is "quote unquote" back or like we can count on him to do the things we thought we once could count on Johnny Gaudreau to do. So I'm going to take a minute here and just say, I'm still really concerned about Johnny Gaudreau's shot rates. They're still almost 50% less than what they've been for the last two years. I started the show talking about Ryan Johansson and how he, and how he never shoots and how frustrating that is. Johnny Gaudreau is in Ryan Johansson shot rate territory at five on five which is bad. I like like happy endings as much as anybody, especially at the end of the season, a good way to build some momentum going to the next one for Johnny Gaudreau. But I still have very real concerns about things ever working out this well on a consistent basis for Gaudreau again in Calgary. He seems like somebody who needs a team built differently around him or a different team altogether to get back to the levels of success he once saw. I'm not totally uh, reconvinced that the old Johnny Gaudreau, or even a point-per-game Johnny Gaudreau can come back next year just because of this little run he's on.
1: Interesting. Sounds like maybe now would be a good time for the Flames to try to trade him again now that he's on a hot run. Maybe same for a fantasy manager in a dynasty league or a keeper league. Okay, uh, next up, right? Oh, you know what? We've been on Boston for a while, like ever since the trade deadline, talking about Taylor Hall, talking about Craig Smith. I feel like, meanwhile, we haven't talked much about your favorite player. You must be so excited to brag about David Krejci. What a run he's on. His three assists yesterday brought him to 14 points in his last 11 games. Krejci is only 43% rostered on Yahoo. To me, he's like the most obvious ad if your league is still going. Uh, next week, Boston starts the week playing on Monday and Tuesday versus New Jersey. Come on, Krejci's on a roll? And he's got one of the easiest teams to score against going to start next week. So people should... I, I can't imagine you're going to give me any resistance here about Krejci, right?
2: No, of course not. You know my history with David Krejci. I love him. And you know the the kids' book? I don't know if you know. If you give a mouse a cookie, if you give a moose a muffin. They're actually not very good Why would good I books. know this? <laughs> I
1: don't, <laughs> I don't know. have kids. Well,
2: you might have read them in... I, I knew them before oh, I... Oh, it's an old book. I, I guess I'm so a teacher. It.
1: So if you give a mouse a cookie, if you give a moose a muffin, then what happens?
2: Yeah, it's actually a really bad book. I don't like it. Um,
0: I don't know if I should say that.
2: I got it as a gift from a friend who definitely doesn't listen to this podcast. But yeah, it's just like a really long story that's kind of boring and annoying to read. But I was reminded of it because to me, this is if you give a centerman a winger, this is what happens, Mm. right? David Krejci, I've been talking about, is better than your average second line center in the NHL, but just had so little to work with for the last so many years. And this run that David Krejci is on coincides with exactly the moment that Taylor Hall arrived. And yes, Krejci's run, you know, I'm going to call everyone else on this episode out for their shooting percentage. I got to call Krejci out for his two, six goals on his last 22 shots for 27% shooting percentage. Also, Krejci has picked up three power play points from the second unit. Uh, in this run which is more like an every 20 games expectations rather than an every 11 games expectation which is the window in which he's managed those three power play points this time around but it's nice to see things working so well for David Krejci and it. Like, I believe that he can continue doing really great things with Taylor Hall at 5-on-5, of course. And, I mean, don't look now, and this isn't news or anything, but don't you think Boston is just rolling towards being a very serious cup contender? Again, they've got two scoring lines rolling, including... Their top line, which is still arguably the best in the league. Now they have Krejci and Hall clicking on the second line. They've got a top five defense. Their rookie goalie, Jeremy Swayman, looking like he could carry the team through a cup run, let alone Tuka Rask is still there. Boston is a very, very scary team to be looking at in a playoff matchup.
1: Who do you think is more scary at this point between Boston and Florida, who's also on a nice run and has their own acquisitions of Sam Bennett just going crazy right now and a strong goalie in Spencer Knight, who's the same as Jeremy Swayman, right? Maybe even better.
2: Yeah, interesting. I mean, I'm definitely not gonna let the Bennett to Hall comparison slide completely (laughs) as, as a new acquisition for a top six. I'd be more scared of Boston just because of the experience in that top line is just so like those are three guys who don't want to mess with. Whereas in Florida, the top line is Alex Barkov and two guys. And I don't want to mess with Alex Barkov, but I'd rather mess with him than three three Alex Barkovs. Yeah. I don't know if that's weird to call <laughs> Bergeron Mershan and Pasternak Alex Barkov, but you know what I'm getting at.
1: Yeah, for sure. Okay, I don't think that's too hot a take anyways, say Boston yeah. still may be a favorite over Florida. But I don't know, watch out for Florida. I like them too. Uh, okay, so let's go next to St. Louis. We're doing hot streaks here. And Mike Hoffman, speaking of players who used to be good, here's one who used to be good, and now once again is finally good. Hoffman was on a run of seven goals and four assists in seven games before going quiet in his last couple versus Minnesota. But what's especially noteworthy about the run that he was on was in that run of seven goals, goals and four assists in seven games so 11 points in seven games eight of those 11 points were power play points which obviously coincided with Hoffman finally getting back to being on the top power play which is what we assumed was going to be a sure thing going into the year I remember that was one of the things that shocked me the most probably for the first couple of weeks and months of the season was Mike Hoffman is signed as a UFA by St. Louis and then not used on the power play I thought that was his whole thing so anyways this new alignment has been working for the Blues. They've won four in a row before they fell to the Wild yesterday. Uh, the Blues now are three points ahead of the Coyotes with a game in hand for that last playoff spot in the West. So, Brian, what took Mike Hoffman so long to get on top power play? And, like, i just curious, like, is do you think he'd get bumped from there? Like, it just seems like this is clearly what he's useful for, and now he's there. If anyone, like, has now panic-dropped him after these two pointless games uh, over the weekend... Is it like a clear ad to finish the year? Like, I'm just curious. No, he was in the free agency in the couple tier one for like a stretch. I could have added him and didn't for a while. And obviously whoever added him really benefited because he's been scorching.
2: He has been scorching. Hoffman has been on this crazy run and five of his eight power play points. You mentioned he's been finally contributing on power play one, but five of the eight power play points Hoffman has in these, this run still came from the second unit. And I only mentioned that just because, uh, the points are less likely to come when he's on the second unit. And while that production might have helped him earn a spot on the first unit, I think that Tarasenko injury, uh, where he's gone day-to-day and has now been out two games, that was a, a timely boost for Mike Hoffman's power play one fortunes. And I guess the reason I'm still sounding ambivalent about Mike Hoffman is that that power play production is all he has. In Hoffman's last five games, he's played fewer than 11 minutes twice. He's played 13 minutes twice. And one game, he saw actually decent deployment in 16 minutes of ice time. Basically, Mike Hoffman is seeing bottom six minutes and getting this edit as a power play specialist. And uh, that's not giving him a whole lot of opportunity to point even though he's doing it so much lately I'm worried that an opportunity disappears if Tarasenko comes back I, I wouldn't tolerate much scorelessness from Mike Hoffman even if he's still getting power play two-time he's not even taking a whole lot of shots most of the time fewer than two shots on goal in four of his last six games he all he's really giving me vibes of like a, a forward version of Vince Dunn right now and I, I don't think it's just the St. Louis Blues jersey that's making me think that.
1: Okay, I hear that. Yeah, and he was cold for so long, so he's not someone that's maybe earned too much trust from fantasy managers. Man, that was just a really hot run if you had him. And I think he could still go for longer, but you're right, I guess things could always get shaken up. And I like him while he's getting the PP1 time. Uh, so how about a couple uh, older players? I guess this has been a theme of the episode I didn't even realize I was going to do. Players who used to be good, some who are back to being good, and some who uh, we just reminisce about the good old days. How about a couple guys who I would not have guessed that we'd be bringing up at the start of this week's episode? But on the Leafs, Jason Spezza... And Joe Thornton are both riding five-game point streaks now from their spot like on a line together, which is like the fourth line on the Leafs. But they both pointed in the 5-1 win over the Canucks yesterday. Are we at a point where you should consider adding Spezza and or Joe Thornton if you're in a deeper league, even though they're playing on the fourth line? They're getting points every game like, is it sustainable at all? Is it possible? Like, how's this happening?
2: It's definitely possible. I don't know if it's sustainable. It's been this way all season, right? Spezza's had a couple other runs where it's like, oh my god, like, and we've been, oh, it's so great to see Jason Spezza produce even from the fourth line, uh, doing what I think the Leafs brought him on to do. Uh, Spets and Thornton, I think, are both decent shots to take if you're looking to stream somebody in. Elon, I think that Better question. Maybe you think this is silly. Felino is probably rostered in so many leagues that it's probably not worth even considering him in in this question. But I'll I'll give him to as a slam dunk. I'm curious if you prefer Spetsa and Thornton to both Felino and Alex Galchenyuk. Felino has a point in all four of his games as a Leaf, plus nice hits, no power play time though. And Alex Galchenyuk has a point in each of his last two after having been quiet for a while, uh, still in the top six. So, who would you prefer? I guess is it is it easy to say Felino's is the most preferable of this group?
1: I think so. Yeah, I mean he's gotten a point in every game, like you said, okay. and he's played with Matthews and Marner, who are the two clearly most offensive yeah. players on the team. Yeah. So
2: then rank the rank the remaining three between Spetsa, Thornton, and Galchenyuk.
1: I mean, I really don't have any faith actually in Spets Thornton. Like, I just <laughs> had to bring it up, but yeah. I guess I'd go Galchenyuk playing with Tavares and Nylander. Uh But you know, these are deep reaches. But like, Galchenyuk seems to be in the better spot. Nice to see him get a couple points after he went cold for a little bit. And I know you were really excited on the last show, as you always are, to make fun of how the Leafs "quote unquote" fixed him. I'm sure that's going to be a quote that you'll be saying every time we talk about Galchenyuk. Well, I brought it up this time, but yeah, I'll still take it. But I, I like it. Like, I'm excited to see what the Leafs do in the playoffs. I really, honestly, Brian, I just want the Leafs to win a playoff round just because, like, poorly fans right and like I know I'm like a 50-50 Leafs fan so you might think I'm just like letting my bias come through but like come on and now they have all these cool players don't you want to see Thornton and Spezza and all these cool players like go on a deep playoff run I think it'll be fun
2: yeah it would be fun Thornton and Spezza and all these cool players by the way they are on the second power play Thornton and Spezza and Galchenuk is not and Norris Felino. So that would be one reason. If you need power play points in your league to go Spezza and Thornton over Galchenyuk, but I agree. In formats where you don't, where you aren't searching for that power play point, I would still prefer Galchenyuk.
1: Yeah, also, this power play too, this is like a Washington situation, right? Like, they've now finally, the Leafs weren't always this way, but now the Leafs are like just loading up that top yeah. power play. Tavares, Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Morgan Riley, and then the second power play is like Kerfoot, Simmons, Thornton, Spezza. Oh my gosh.
2: Like, neither of whom were in Toronto three years ago
1: yeah well, so there you go now they've uh, turned it around they fixed all these guys they've, they've,
2: uh, <laughs> they've acquired a power play 2 unit just from free agency. Wow.
1: And then they barely play them. So, okay, a couple more <laughs> hot streaks to go. Last episode, we kind of hand-waved all the Devils. I think this is my fault. I sort of was, like, talking about Devils. Like, is there really any forward that we care about at this point, aside from Jack Hughes? And clearly, Pavel Zaka was listening, and he was not impressed. He's been amazing lately. Uh, before that show and since that show. Six points now in his last four games on his line with Brat and sheer and on the top power play. You know, uh, Pavel is an interesting guy. He, like uh, Casey Middlestat was a first-round pick a few years ago and kind of just never did anything wasn't even on the team for a while when then he did finally make the devils and didn't, didn't really do much with it. and all of a sudden this year like something's really clicked for the former sixth overall pick from 2015 and pavel zaka Uh, All of a sudden, he's got 31 points in 45 games for a 56 point pace on the year. Like you just talked about Josh Anderson as like a measly 45 point guy. I'm sure most people would say that Josh Anderson is a more offensive fantasy contributor than Pavel Zaka, but clearly uh, not this year, unless you say that this 56 point pace from Zaka is unsustainable. So I'm curious if we were projecting him for next year, do we think he can do this again? Uh, maybe he's even a threat for like sixty points if you know the devils have a normal season without a bunch of players getting injured all the time it's been a really nice
2: season for Pavel zaka and while some of his stretches have been unsustainably good on the whole, Pavel zaka's had a good season, and i've tried to look for holes and or like even an explanation as to why he's doing so well he's a fifty five point player. And I think he actually deserves to stay that way if I'm looking at him. Um, I, like I see his IBP is higher than usual, but he's had a couple years of having a really bad IBP. His shooting percentage is higher than usual, but he's had a few years of having a really bad shooting percentage. So I, I just feel like he's been really hit harder from variance, and we've just over the last few years and we've just been like, well, I guess he's not very good to being like, oh, well, when he has reasonably normal numbers, even though their departure from his usual numbers I think they're probably reasonable to sustain uh, just because of how bad his historical numbers have been in terms of like shooting percentage and point participation rates. So yeah, I am uh, into Pavel Zaka as a 50, 55 point player. It also of course helps that he's seen almost uh, twice as much power play time per game this season compared to last season. So that's helped him too, but his even strength play has just benefited from a, uh, a lack of bad variants. Nor- have- sure. Pavelsaka is having a normal one, and I think that makes him a 50 to 55 point player.
1: Yeah, well, especially now, if he's going to continue getting this deployment, that's the thing what it's all about. If he's going to be getting a deployment with Brad and Hesher and playing yeah. in the top power play, you're going to potentially be able to get a lot of points.
2: And while we're talking about Devils, who we've hand-waved, I can't remember. I think I brought him up last week, but Igor Sharangovich... Up to 15 points in his last 14 games with 34 wow. shots. That's like two and a half shots per game, two power play points as well. Who would you rather between Sharangovic and Pavel Zaka? Uh,
1: I think, first of all, tell me if I'm wrong. I thought it was pronounced Sharangovic.
2: Sharangovic.
1: But Sharangovic yeah. is more fun to say. It's like boomerang <laughs> kind of a little bit. Yeah. I'm going to go Zaka for the deployment, but uh, obviously Sharang now you made me say it uh, clearly uh, Sharon Govich is not someone that you should ignore so this Devils team like they can't stop the puck but they're also scoring some goals so that helps and we know this like I was excited about Brian Elliott last week when it was announced that Carter Hart was going to be done for the year I thought okay get the car uh, get Brian Elliott in because the Flyers you know aren't great Elliott isn't great but they're playing the Devils the Devils stink it's like no the Devils clearly could score some goals and it didn't go so well for Brian Elliott all right let's end the show Brian with another oldie but a goodie uh, nice performance from Ryan Miller yesterday on Animal. Anaheim stopped 23 of 25 in the 6-2 win over the Kings. This came after the 40-year-old Miller announced that he's going to be retiring after this season. Brian, this is just a hunch I have, but I feel like Ryan Miller's going to end the season strong. Like, I don't know how many more games he's going to get, but I have a feeling he's going to like ride a wave of adrenaline. You know, it's the final games of his career. I don't know. This is just a total hunch shot in the dark, but I feel like I would consider streaming in Ryan Miller when he's expected to play a game. Uh, Anaheim's got St. Louis and Minnesota next week, two games against each, so maybe Miller gets a couple in like a mini farewell tour. Is this crazy? I don't know. I feel like I've seen this before. I remember there it's- was... Um- who was it? Oh, Patrick
0: Elias.
1: I had a really good call once, like an early season of keeping Carlson. I like said that Patrick Elias, who had been like injured all year, then he announced that he was going to retire. Then he had like his final game of his career. And I was like, I'll bet you he's going to get a point. And he ended up scoring like two goals or something. So I don't know. I'm calling it here again with Ryan Miller. I feel like he's got another good game in him.
2: Maybe another good game. I think that's about as far as I would give you for Ryan Miller. And it's not just Ryan Miller. He's playing for the Anaheim Ducks, who are bottom five in defense in the NHL, bottom five in offense in the NHL. Also, I don't even know that Ryan Miller is going to get another start right? This would be a nice note to end on. But there are three goalies that have seen time in Anaheim lately. You've got Miller and Gibson and Anthony Stolars has entered the picture not so long ago. Uh, so I don't know. I don't, I don't think that Ryan Miller is going to like play out the stretch on a victory tour. Also, if he does, Elon, Ryan Miller hasn't strung two quality starts together all season long. 4-8-1, eight eighty five save percentage, and 30% Quality starts, but yes, Elon, it would be very fun as like this intangibles emotional shot for Ryan Miller to play out the season and be really great. I just, uh, like I would have Tukarski level of trust in him,
1: yeah, for sure. I just wanted to throw it out there, and okay. like to be fair, like that would be so rude to just not play him anymore. <laughs> like, what do the Ducks have to play for? Let's get a good it. game. Oh, so like just like end on a high, high yeah, goal. okay. I wonder what he would prefer. Do you think Ryan Miller, if he could choose right now, is would he be like, "I'm good, let's just like not play me anymore"? Or do you think he's like, "Give me every single game," or do you think in the middle? It
2: would be a great question to ask him.
1: I wish we, you know, I always wonder. Sometimes people ask me like, "Will you ever like get a player on the show to interview them?" And I was like, "I don't know what I'm going to ask an uh, NHL player. Like, I don't, you know, I'm like a fantasy guy. Like, I want to talk about numbers. Like, they don't want to talk about that. Maybe that would be a, a fun question to I ask." for. Remember-
2: one time, I can't remember what the context was exactly, but someone had gotten in touch with us and told us they might be able to get us on a show with Bernie Nichols, yeah. the former NHL hockey player. We were talking about it. This is like season 2 we We're like, oh, like what, what, should we, what should we talk to Bernie Nichols about? And we were thinking about it. And you're like, I just like, kind of want to ask him like what he thinks. Like, Did people play fantasy hockey when he played in the league and how he felt about it? And, yeah. like, and then we never ended up actually pursuing this because we had nothing to ask bernie nichols from our fantasy obsessed perspective
1: yeah uh i would not be good i think i'd have to really think hard i'd much rather just get like a beat writer i think from some team i have a lot of questions to ask the beat writers i don't know how much i can ask about the from the players uh so brian this has been a blast we've you know continuing to try to help people out in their leagues hopefully people have found something useful from all of our injuries and outjuries and prospect prospectus and hot streaks to end the show so if you like the show we'd obviously appreciate if you let us know you could tweet us at keeping carlson uh you know uh, five-star review on itunes all that stuff Uh, become a patron join our playoff pool before we end the show though of course uh, we did want to do something fun here because like Brian said, the Keepin' Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League has come to an end, which means we have 23 victorious managers who have done something that's very difficult to do, come on in and beat 13 other uh, fantasy-obsessed participants and win their Cupful division. They're going to be getting cool, like, I don't know, I guess not one-of-a-kind, but like customized Keeping Carlson Cupful winner t-shirts, so watch out for that. And of course, uh, the big winner of the K-Cupful, Dustin Ow, is going to be getting the CoolHockey.com jersey. I uh, forgot about that until just now. That was a bonus prize that Cool Hockey offered us to give to the K-Cupful Tier 1 Ultimate Champions. I don't even know if Dustin realizes this. We'll have to ask him what jersey he wants. Anyway, Brian, how about to end the show? Why don't we put on some celebration music and shout out the 23 Cucupful Champions that have done something that neither you or I have done for quite a while. Starting in tier six we had eight tier six divisions and here are the division names the team names and the winners so in tier six Bosse, uh the winner is head of tim horton managed by grayson tier six vante team scafku 27 managed by Aaron. congratulations tier six Beten was won by julio's apartment julio is here in the chat won by only 1.95 points holy cow That must have been exciting. Uh, Tier 6 Krister was won by Corey and his Syracuse Bulldogs... Tier 6 Gunilla was won by the uh, aptly named Sam's Super Team, which I guess is the default name. And Sam was just like, I'm good with it. I'm going to roll this team to a win. So congrats, Sam. Uh, also a close matchup. Won by 2.5 in Tier 6 Phile, Uh Shipping up to Austin. Managed by Steven. 300 plus points to really hammer home the victory.
2: That was the highest point total of any kick full team in the finals
1: congratulations holy cow it's almost like winning the fast track except you only go up to tier four instead of all the way up to tier one we'll get to the fast track in a little bit uh tier six roulette was won by khalil who's on an episode of the cup of attack i recall it was a really fun episode uh it was like khalil had a co-manager also and i i don't remember the co-manager's name but i believe that it was like him and his wife right. managing the team together yeah so uh getting a bit amzy. Allison. Allison, there you go, Khalil and Allison, that was a really fun show uh, and then tier 6 Pella won by a friend of the show, the creator of Frozen Tools Eric, so congratulations Eric, and those are the tier 6 couple winners Brian, let's uh, hear tier 5
2: Alright, going over to tier 5, congratulations and tier 5 William rhymes with swooning Matthews managed by Derek takes home the trophy in tier 5 Melker Shane's team, you can do it Won the championship. In Jacob F., our champion is Canyonero, managed by Robert. Hopefully a Simpsons reference, which you know is one of my favorite kinds of references. In Tier 5, Linus, Robert's team, it burns when IPP, which is, (laughs) like, very clever. Good one. Uh, (laughs) Took home the championship. And then the last Tier 5 winning team this
1: season was Steven with his team Underdog. In tier five, Anton. Yeah, congratulations. Okay, then over to tier four. So all these teams, everyone who wins in the couple moves up two tiers at least. And sometimes potentially more depending on attrition when you're a bottom tier winner. So yeah, these people in tier four I'm about to mention are going to tier two next year. Uh, starting within tier four, Yokerit, Jeeves NHL, Michael. Pulled out the victory. In tier four, Smaland. Uh, the Ninja Hurdles managed by Devin. Way to go. Tier four, Sodertalge was managed by Krister, which, uh, if you were listening carefully, was also the name of a tier six division. But here we had a tier four manager that won with his team, Skugan. He was the fifth seeded team and he beat the first seeded team. So, what an exciting upset there in the finals. And then in tier four, Young B, uh, Ben there, Don't That, managed by Lori, uh, pulled out the win.
2: All right. And then our tier three champions. I'll go through them one at a time in Binghamton, Patrick's team, the knife town toddlers in Boras stat attack host, John Newhold and his Microsoft Excel squad took home the trophy. And in Frolunda, Mika's team, modern Malkin is the winner. Congratulations to all you tier three winners who are going to be joining Elon in tier one next year. That's
1: going to be exciting. These are uh, my new enemies. Let's add a couple more. Uh, Tier 2 San Jose. Brian, your division. And this is the guy who beat you in the quarterfinals. Kyle took you out. Kay Paris' team. I'm going to lose
2: the the other guy. Better win in the finals.
1: Yeah, I know. That's the Sens mantra always. (laughs) Uh, By the way, Kyle beat Brandon. Uh, if you recall from our outro notes, uh, logo art by brandonweave.com. Uh, so he's also going to tier one. And then in Ottawa, DocDocGusev, managed by Jeremy Versillo, the person who won the fast track. He had the highest number of points in the regular season of all of the 322 Cupful teams. So Jeremy already won guaranteed entry to tier one after the regular season, but he was like you know what, let me just win my division anyways and just lock it in. So Jeremy just ran away with this season. So congratulations <laughs> to Jeremy. And he beat Harrison in the finals of Tier 2. Ottawa, so both Jeremy and Harrison are going to be joining me in Tier 1. And then, of course, the ultimate champion, Brian, send us home by lauding our new... <laughs> best fantasy hockey player in the whole world
2: i thought you were gonna call me the ultimate champion he's an ultimate champion brian i was getting really excited that was three years ago it's been a few years yes congratulations to our cupful tier one sweden ultimate champion one more time dustin with his squad primo pasta congratulations there's nowhere to go from here except down or sideways sorry to be a wet blanket I guess that's the trouble of being at the top. You got to fight just to hold where you are. And we just named a lot of the people who are coming for your crown. So, Dustin, enjoy it while it lasts. And congratulations, Supremo Pasta. You are the Kakupful Ultimate Champion for Season 6. And we are so excited for Season 7. And in between, then, also very excited for our Keeman Carlson Ultimate Playoff Pool, which you can register for by becoming a patron over at patreoncom Keeman Carlson.
1: Yeah, by the way, du- the one thing Dustin can do, Brian, that's never been done before, uh, is repeat. We've never yes. had a two-time Cupful Ultimate Champion, let alone two years in a row. So that's obviously what Dustin's going I asked him on our reunion show what he thinks his chances are of repeating, and he said like 0%. So obviously a very humble guy.
2: And curiously, I believe Dustin is going to be the only past Kukupful Ultimate Champion in Tier 1 this season. It's going to be Dustin and 13 others who have never won the
1: trophy Well, there it is. I guess, yeah, once you win, maybe some people, you know, they just feel like they've you know accomplished so much. They took their foot off their gas. Brian, maybe after you won, you started packing on the pounds a little bit, didn't have to pay attention (laughs) as much, maybe felt a little uh, overconfident. And so, yeah, the people in Tier 1 are hungry. And so, Dustin, like you said, it's going to be tough. Okay, this has been so fun, Brian. Another fun episode of Keeping Carl's. And hopefully everyone enjoyed the show. I guess I said a bunch of stuff before we said the names about our Twitter and the five-star review and becoming a patron. So obviously we'd appreciate all of that. But how about let's let everyone go home now So let's cue the outro music. And Brian, why don't you go ahead and read us the credits.
2: All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabra Hockey and powered by our patrons. Logo art by BrandonWeeb.com. Outro music by Pat Roach. And a special thank you to Adam M., who joins us every week in the live chat and is responsible for naming this week's episode. Thanks! This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey Prison Pool, Dauber Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, HockeyGoalies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, NBC Sports
1: Edge, and Yahoo! Great job as always. Brian, looking forward to doing this all with you again. I guess we'll come back next week. I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll figure out the plan for the rest of the season. Maybe we will ask on Twitter again and see how many people actually still have leagues come next weekend. But uh, we'll be back with you with more King Crossing content soon and all throughout the summer. So please stay subscribed because we're not going to be slowing down even when the season ends.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, until whenever the next time we speak to you is, uh, the same thing will remain true. Fantasy hockey is for everyone.